We're in a series, like Pastor Danny said, uh, keeping it together, uh, what you need when life is falling apart. And so we're in the book of Galatians today, chapter 6. If you'd like to find your Bible, you can open your app. If you picked up an outline on the way in, pull it out. You can open the app right there and find an outline as well. I hope you'll jot down some things today that might be of help to you or maybe even passing along to somebody else in the near future. This is good stuff and we all need it. I need it. Together we need it. If you're using that book rack Bible, you'll find it on page 1816, the book of Galatians chapter 6. We'll get there in just a minute. So we're saying that the church ought to be the one place where people get care. Where if your life is falling apart, something good can happen. The church ought to be the place where that takes place. So often it's not the case. Why? Well, sometimes churches don't know how to help people. And that's because sometimes churches don't have a culture of help within them. We suggested last week that if we're going to help people, first of all, this has to be a place where people can get help. And secondly, we as individuals have to be the kind of people that can actually help other people. Are you following that? And so there's a macro and there's a micro. There's the church as the body and there's individuals. And all of us need to come along with this idea of care. And today we want to look at this picture, the framework of a series that comes out of uh, uh, the question of how to help hurting people. And we said last week that hurting people need a personal encounter with the living God. And this week we want to look at the fact that hurting people need a loving community. Hurting people need a loving community. Would you say that with me? Hurting people need a loving community. In other words, we've got to find out that we're not alone. So many of us are living in spaces where we feel like we're all alone. Nobody will understand. This is my problem. Nobody gets it. But the reality is we've all got similar stuff, sometimes exactly the same, sometimes similar, but we're all hurting. We've all got areas of need. And when we find a community that understands that, what a difference it makes. And we work pretty hard here at Three Crosses in developing ministries that we would call our nets that help people that are in these situations, whether it's bereavement, you've lost a loved one, you've got an addiction issue, uh, or you've got something going in your life where you need a, a loving community. We work hard at creating ministries for that, and those are nets that kind of draw people in. But even more, we work hard at building a culture of community, a culture of love, a culture of help. And I think that uh, all of us, whether you're going through something today or uh, you've been through something, you know the difference it makes when, when you're connected with a group of people that know and understand what's going on in your life. And so today I want to show you from Galatians 6, I want to show you three simple yet powerful characteristics about what a loving community looks like, okay? Three characteristics about what a loving community looks like. And what I want you to do out of this message today as we're going along, I want you to first think about, number one, is this a church like that? And we want to compare ourselves as a church to the scriptures this morning. That's a really important piece. And the second thing is we need to ask ourselves the personal question, am I a person like this? Okay, so is this place, three crosses, like what we're going to learn here this morning? And secondly, am I as an individual like this those are the two things, those are the application points I want you to see this morning as we go through. So let's go ahead and take the text and read it. Follow along as I read in my Bible, beginning in verse 1. 
short little paragraph. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. All right, we're going to stop right there. It's a small paragraph, but boy, it is packed with some great stuff. I see three things about loving communities. What a loving community is and what a a loving individual is, if you're looking at it from a personal standpoint. Three things that I want you to see this morning, whatever it is that you're going through. Loving communities, number one, if you're taking notes, help broken people heal. All right, that's what the text says right there in verse one. Broken people need healing and loving communities is where it happened. Notice in verse one, that the church should always be about restoring, restoring anyone who needs it. Now, I realize that in the context, and you realize this too, that this is immediately talking about someone who is caught in a sin. It says that right there in the verse. It's probably a good reminder to remember that care ministries are often born out of the fact of restoring people that have been caught up in some kind of sin, the sin of addictions like alcoholism or drug abuse or pornography or gambling or gluttony or whatever else addiction that you might be uh, trapped in this morning. If you have an addiction or you're struggling with something, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christ follower. I get this question all the time. People say, well, wait a minute. I'm a Christ follower, but I seem to keep having the same problem over and over and over again. Now, can, I, can we just, for those of you that are sitting here, do you think that you are, you are someone that is a, an exception and nobody else has this experience? Let's do a little, a little group thing here. How many of you, as believers in Christ, seem to struggle with the same kinds of things that you have had even before you became a Christian? Can, can we just testify a little bit here this morning? Okay, now look around. Almost everyone's hands went up. And the people that didn't, the hands go up? I got a question for you later. But anyway... <laughs> You're thinking it's a trick question or something. I get it. But the reality is, if you are a Christ follower, Jesus forgives all your sins, past, present, future. But there are things that sometimes snag us, things that we are caught in that become addictive things in our lives. Now, does God heal us from addictions? Absolutely. Should we pursue a course that does completely heal of us, uh, heal us of our addictions? Absolutely. And can we ultimately someday get free from those addictions? Absolutely. But if you're a Christ follower this morning and there's something going on in your life that you just continue to struggle against and fight against and you, you just can't seem to find your way through it, can I suggest that one of the components that might be missing in your life is a loving community? where you stop being isolated and you're actually sharing with a confidential, smaller group of people where you are sharing the struggle and you are finding a place where it's safe to say who you are and where people can love on you and people can address those situations productively and biblically and lovingly as Christ would have us to. And then there is freedom and then there is new life. But so many of us are trapped and we think we're always going to be there. Okay, so that's the first thing I wanted you to see. Now, let's dig in a little deeper here. This word restore in verse one, 
Those who are spiritual should restore the one. It's a medical term in the Greek language. It actually describes a process of a doctor setting a broken limb. Carterizo is the word. It's, it's the idea of setting something that's broken. People who experience some kind of broken in, brokenness in their lives actually need something set straight in their lives. <laughs> and it goes without saying that the process of setting things straight in our lives is often painful. Have you found that out? Um, you know, usually we don't think about this a lot, but, uh, but in a medical sense, most of us have at some time or another been through a process of a medical thing that was a little painful. Now, I've, I've broken bones uh, a few times in my life, uh, and when I, before I was 10 years old, I had broken both arms three times, okay? No, I don't mean like, not like six times total, but I'm talking about three different occasions I broke my arm or wrist. And I remember the first time I was in a tree, I was about eight years old, I was really on a great run for a while there. I was, I was up in this tree with my friend, an acacia tree in the backyard of my parents' house, and I was about 10 feet up. We'd crawled up through the tree. We were up above the canopy of the tree, so we're sitting there, just our bodies up above. We're down, you know, we're kind of nestled into the branches, and we're pretending to be birds, okay? <laughs> and I've still got this in my mind. My friend Ed, he's right, and we're going like, back, 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 you know? And then all of a sudden, I feel this crack, and I fall through the tree, and my friend said later, as I heard him laughing as I was going down, <laughs> that my arms actually flapped faster as I was going down. <laughs> Great instinctive move. Anyway, I remember hitting the ground. I just, like I got up, and you know, the wind was knocked out of me, and I thought I was more seriously hurt than I was, but I felt this really dull ache, and my arm looked like it was going a different direction. And so, you know, my mom's, ah, you know, she freaking out, puts me in the Volkswagen bus, and we drive to the emergency room. And I remember the doctor coming into the room where we were, and he says, you know, you've got this break, and, and it's going to be okay and everything, but I'm going to need to set the bone. And I just remember this loving man, you know, with his gentle smile, but he's hurting me! <laughs> now, since I had that experience a few times, and, you know, I remember when it was going, good, now you can get your cast. Everything was fine. I remember getting the cast, and, and then everything was fine. The point is, that little process of getting the bones set and getting ready for the cast, that was a painful experience. If you are a person that has had some kind of an addiction or you've gone somewhere in your life where there's something that needs to be healed from, there's chances are, the chances are that that is going to be a hurtful experience for a while there's going to be pain restoration is often painful you might want to write that down somewhere in your notes if you're taking notes restoration is often painful because here's the deal some of us are tired of the pain and so we decide ah no more of this i don't want any more of this pain i don't want any more vulnerability and so we jump out and that there's a word for that it's called relapse or we go back into the same stupid stuff that we used to do because we're just tired of the pain we're in. We forget that the pain that we're trying to get out of was worse than the pain we're in trying to get better. But, you know, we don't think very well, and so we're right back into the same kind of situations. So if that's anyone here today, all kinds of pain because you're in the process of being restored, things are getting set straight in your life, be encouraged. Pain, to some degree, is a part of the process. 
Now, notice from the text something else I want to show you. It describes that those who are spiritual should be helping these people. So I've written in my notes, helping broken people heal requires someone to be godly. I'm going to use the word godly. We're going to describe what this means. It takes godly people to restore broken people. I want you to say that with me. It takes godly people to restore broken people. Say it one more time. It takes godly people to restore broken people. I want you to get that in your mind because here's the deal. A lot of times there's an overabundance of broken people in places because there's an underabundance of godly people doing what they are called to do. That's why I suggested when we started this message that churches need to look at who they are. Do we have the bandwidth of truly godly people who can help people that are broken? And by the way, we're all broken. We've all got brokenness in our lives, but some of us you know, need a little bit of triage. We need to find a place where it's safe to kind of let people into our mess and let God begin to do his work. And the fact is, Christ wants to restore us. He has the power to restore us, but oftentimes it takes others in the process. Now, when he writes, when Paul writes, you who are spiritual, and I'm calling the person godly, uh, but let's, you know, we could use the word spiritual, but Let's, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be godly? Well, the text, the context tells us, if you're open there in uh, Galatians 6, just go back up a few verses in chapter 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul is giving the context, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who are spirit-filled, in other words, you who are truly godly people, controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit, you are the folks that are responsible to kind of take care of broken people, people who are needing help out of their brokenness. Now something that I want to point out here, just a little technical thing that I hear sometimes people say mistakenly, is people will say, oh, I love the fruits of the Spirit. And they use the plural for fruit. But notice in the text, it's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because you can't really have joy in the measure that God has for you without also having patience, or you can't have goodness without having gentleness and so forth and so on. It's a package deal. The fruit of the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're a spiritual person, you have all of these characteristics going on in your life. And so this is so great because when you become a follower of Jesus, we are called by in Scripture, right here in Galatians 5, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 18. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us and fill us and and let His fruit, His fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, come out in our lives. And when that's going on, then you know, then we've got something to offer people who are going through spirit of brokenness. And so this is a beautiful thing. And by the way, as an aside to this, it's easy to see how we can lose our sensitivity to the spirit. We can grieve the spirit, uh, it tells us in Ephesians 4.30. And we can quench the spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. So we must remember not only to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but because we can grieve and quench the spirit, we must be also sensitive around the idea that uh, the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. I remember reading a book not long ago, R.T. Kendall writes a book called The Sensitivity of the Spirit, which means 
because we can walk into things in our lives and, and not be careful, we can sort of uh, shoo the Holy Spirit out of our lives. I don't mean in a salvation kind of way, but in a way that we're not helpful to those around us. We can't manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can't do it because we've shooed the Holy Spirit out because we're not really being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of us that are sort of, I know this might even sound foreign to some of us, because embarrassingly so, we don't take enough time to really focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this is a good time to do that because right here Paul says, you who are spiritual, in other words, you who are spirit-filled, you are the true people of godliness that can actually help people in their brokenness. Now, two critical aspects of what godliness looks like, I want you to write them down. One aspect of godliness is gentleness. Say the word gentleness. We're told to restore people gently. Notice that. You should underline that. Restore him gently or restore her gently. Um, sometimes we're not very good at this. We, we're, we're harsh. We're unbending with people who are somewhat fragile by their own brokenness. You know, we, we forget that sometimes people already feel emotionally beat up, so when we go and confront them in their sin, we just do more damage a lot of times. I remember... Uh, when I became senior pastor of our church about 21 years ago, um, early on in that first season of ministry, I remember one of our elders pulled me aside. Hey, can we have breakfast? Sure, that'd be great. So we go have breakfast down here, local restaurant. We're sitting there, and he begins by telling me all these amazing things that he loves about who I am as a, as a pastor, as a person. He's just so beautiful. And I, I'm thinking, wow, this is a treat. You know, I get breakfast with this leader, and he's just pouring on all these great accolades and everything, and, and I was just really touched by it all, and pro seriously, 30 minutes of just, oh, I've noticed this, and boy, I love how you're doing this, and boy, all this stuff, and I'm going, wow, you know, we should do breakfast more often, you know, this is, <laughs> this is a great experience. So then, and then we're just, I'm thinking we're almost winding down, and he goes, oh, you know, there's, there's a, something else I want to talk to you about. And I go, oh, yeah, great, you know, like I'm just wide open. What else would you like to say that you love about my life, you know? And he says, you know, there's this thing I noticed when you were, and he, he described a situation where he saw me interacting with somebody that was kind of a, a, a person that was dealing with some issues. And, and he said, you know, I just, I just thought that maybe you kind of handled it a little bit heavy-handedly. I thought you were a little bit dogmatic in the way you approached it. And, you know, and I mean, he was couching, I'm summing up. He was, it was still beautiful. It was gentle. I felt like I was just kind of being, you know, like surgic, surgically he was removing some deadness in my life and, and it was just a beautiful thing. It was because he was so gentle with me. And that, that's just walked with me for this whole time in my ministry. Now, <laughs> there have been times where I have been blunt, I have been brash, I have been insensitive, I have been not gentle with people and the Holy Spirit's beautiful. This is one thing the Holy Spirit does. He always, perfect memory on conversations like I had in that restaurant, you know, like just taking me back and remembering that, that, that this is what I need to keep working on in my life. And so this is something for 20 years I work on, trying to be more gentle with people. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, if you know me personally, if you walk with me, you know I've got lots of flaws. I've got things in my life that are not altogether right. But the beautiful thing is God just keeps, you know, moving me that way. Sometimes, and I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, sometimes I'll listen, uh, you know, to messages that I've preached 
and I think, how, I'm, by the way, I don't, lis- I don't like listening to my messages, <laughs> you know. I don't sit around and like, oh, when was my latest message? No, but we used to have a radio program. I used to have to like listen through messages and kind of see how they were and what needed editing and this and that. And, and so there are times where I just go, wow, you know, I come across really kind of arrogantly sometimes. I'm, I'm a little brash. Sometimes I sound angry at people. Have you ever heard a, a preacher preach and you think, wow, he's really mad at somebody, you know? <laughs> That's a terrible experience. And I'm just saying, I, I think there's, a, there's something beautiful about learning to be gentle, more gentle. And we could practice that with each other. Pastors need it. Congregations need it. We need more gentleness. And I, I love, I'm thinking of people I'm actually seeing right now that I'm visualizing. I'm looking into your eyes. And I'm, I'm saying, thank you for being such a gentle person. Thank you for demonstrating such a gracious spirit about people. Such a loving demeanor in your life. You encourage your pastor. You encourage your fellow members here at Three Crosses. And by the way, a, a little bit of a plus, a little encouragement. You know, so many people come to our church and they say that is such a loving place and I thank God for that I do and I just I want to just give glory to God for a congregation that really has a lot of elasticity and a lot of love around sticky situations and even people you know and we may err sometimes on the side of grace with stuff but we're it's not like we're soft on sin but we we love people and we want to be tender and we want to be caring of people but then sometimes, you know, sometimes I read our Yelp reviews. Have you ever done that? <laughs> now, you know, I don't do it often, but sometimes I do. I say, I wonder what the public is saying about our church. And I went on there the other day, and I just looked at it, and it kind of, it was really encouraging. Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, that's encouraging. Oh, that's not so beautiful. Because one person's experience they came in and someone said something or they, you know, we've, I've, we brought out to the open dumb stuff we say, you know, like, you're sitting in my seat, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> really? I mean, we try to be gracious, but sometimes we say dumb things and we hurt people, you know, and so let's just all, just right now, Holy Spirit, just... Speak to us about how we talk to each other and how we, even things that need correction or something, you know, a person's in the wrong place or they're, they're trying to do something on our campus that, you know, like they're bringing coffee in somewhere where they shouldn't or, you know, like, let's, let's work on graciousness and not just like, eh, you know, like even this morning, I throw the flag on myself. Someone this morning walked up to me and they offered me, they said, hey, I wanted to give you a little invitation. When someone says that to me, I, I think, oh no, you know, like, because I think I'm not going to be able to do it, you know, and they, they say, you know, next Saturday night, and they go, and you know, I'm such a jerk sometimes, because Saturday nights, everybody should know. This is a great way to just share this with everybody. Saturday nights, I don't do anything I don't plan anything because I just want to be, I've got to get my head into what's going on here. I think about this. I pray. I join others in prayer. I, the, Saturday nights are like my place of, and I'm just giving you a little window into my life, but so I don't engage on Saturday night things. Just let's, can everybody understand that? Okay, now. <laughs> so this person says to me this morning, hey, next Saturday night. And you know what I did? I was so insensitive. I go, I ah, can't do it. Before I even got the invitation out. 
gee. I apologize, Sam. I, you're here today. I, I just, that was wrong. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or we just, you know, we speak and we, are, oh, anyway. So guess what? If you think hard before you leave today, you'll probably realize, wow, I could have been a little more gentle here, could have been a little more sensitive here. And now look, I had to tell those stories It took too much time. <laughs> so see, if we were all better at this, I wouldn't have to illustrate this so much. <laughs> okay, another aspect is not just gentleness, but it's humility. It says, watch yourself or you also might be tempted. Oh, watch yourself. Realize, Paul realized that some people jump to help people get restored, but they fall into the same temptation. That's a bad thing. I've had a few friends who worked as lifeguards. I had a friend of mine who told me, I said, man, what's it like? He was on a busy beach in Southern California one summer, and he, and he said, man, we did so many rescues, it was crazy. And so I asked him once about this, it's been many years, but I said, what was that like? And he goes, well, the key is when you get to the person that's drowning, you actually have to have them almost drown before you save them. I said, what do you mean? They've got to completely give up on saving themselves and they've got to trust my expertise as a lifeguard to get them in. Whoa. You know, there are a lot of people that we're trying to rescue that are not finished with their sin. You've got to be finished with your sin. You've got to say, enough, no more. And then trust a system or a group or an individual to help walk you through the pain points to get you on the other side. Very important. And that takes humility. Humility is the way that happens. A person realizing that I'm not above it, I could fall into it, I've got to wait for you to be done with yourself before I can help you. So, by the way, if you're looking for one word that sums up this first point, we're going to have to really tear from here. Uh, loving communities demonstrate heart for others. I'm calling this heart. We need a community that has heart because we restore people who are broken. Number two, loving communities provide support for those carrying heavy burdens. Loving communities provide support for those carrying heavy burdens. Now, now we move from sin areas into general burden-bearing areas, okay? Um, Paul uses a word here in the Greek language. That word burden there in verse 2, he uses the word that describes a crushing weight, a weight that no one person should handle on their own. We all have a different load capacity, okay? Um, I learned this as a young man, I, I went back to the farm in Minnesota where my family was from, my grandparents' farm, and one day I was out in the field. I got thrown into a, a group of young farmers. Uh, we went down to help a fellow farmer, and, and, and he had a bunch of guys that were like my age. I was an eighth grader. These guys were maybe early high school, but they were strapping farm kids. And I was on the back of a little wagon uh, that was a baling wagon. We were going through a field, tractor pulling a baler, taking up the hay and baling it, and the bales would come off the baler onto this wagon where these three guys, me and two other guys, were working, and, and they were showing me. You take the hook, you throw it into the bale, you turn around, and you throw it up onto the, you know, onto the stack. 
I'm going, yeah, I can do that. So I grab my hook, and the bail comes off, and I hook it in. I'm like, ah, you know. I can't even move the thing. And these guys are like picking them up and carrying them over and putting them up. So they quickly realize that one of them is going to have to help me because I couldn't carry the burden. They came alongside and helped me. Some of us in the body of Christ are carrying burdens that are just too heavy for us. Now, it may not be heavy for everybody, but they're too heavy for us in that moment. It's a crisis, something we're going through. This happens where a relationship breakup, a death perhaps an addiction, something that is over our head. We cannot get help by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need somebody else. And whenever we love this way, the Bible tells us, whenever we love this way, we are obeying the new commandment. We are obeying the new commandment. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another, Jesus said. This is what loving one another is about. It's coming under the crushing weight, the crushing blow. Um, now, there's hindrances to loving this way. First of all, conceit can hinder our love. Notice in verse 3, it says, uh, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This idea of someone, you know, we kind of look around at people and we say, oh, you should have never gotten yourself into that. What did you do? You know, you're such a dope. You know, it was just like, we're, we're conceited. We think that we're above it all. We can't find any traction with helping people because we're just conceited. We think of ourselves bigger than we really are. And Paul told us later in Philippians uh, uh, chapter 2, when he's writing to the Philippians, he says, he says, don't be so fast with this. He says, we should treat others as more important than ourselves. And Colossians 3, 12 through 14 talks about putting on uh, literally like put it on clothing, put on a heart of compassion, Paul talks about. We should have such a humility and graciousness in our lives to where we really can see that we are not better than others, and sometimes this is the kind of love that people need. We need to come under that weight. And, and secondly, comparison hinders our love too. And this is the other side where we're not conceited. Some of us don't have the problem with conceit, although, let's face it, there's pride in all of us. But some of us have the other problem of comparison. And we look around, we say, what could I do to help this person? I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't help this person. I mean, what can I offer them? I'm nothing. I, I can do nothing. And so Paul says, look, you gotta, there, there's a far greater number of people suffering because, they're, because we're comparing ourselves to others. And that's why Paul writes to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, and he says, there should be no division among the body. Each Part of the body should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So I, I would suggest that, that the community that we're talking about here, that Paul's talking about, is not only a community that has heart, but a community that offers help. You should write that down. It's not just a, a community with heart, but a community that helps. And the way it helps is that we're not conceited and that we're not comparer, comparers. Um, we demonstrate the commandment of love. We love others even as we love ourselves. Which brings us to the last thing here in this passage, in verse 5, and that is that loving communities value a person's individual responsibility. It looks like there's two blanks there, just one word, responsibility. And what this is talking about is what is an apparent contradiction. Did you notice in verse 5 it says, for each one should carry his own load but in verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. What? Well, the, the word that Paul uses there for load 
each one should carry his own load, is a word that describes, usually it describes a military uh, person carrying his pack, his daily essentials. So what this means is, when we look at the difference between burden and load, there are some things that crush us, and then there's a period of time where we get through that crushing need, and then we go back to holding on to our own pack. In other words, sometimes people become, unfortunately, they become lifelong care receivers because they never want to wear their pack. They become very comfortable with the season of crisis. And they like it. Look at all the attention. Look at all the love and the graciousness that people give me. Here's the thing. If you're in a care ministry for like five years, you might be holding a little bit too hard, holding on a little bit hard to, uh, to being cared for. The body of Christ functions when we as members of the body of Christ take personal responsibility. We gotta care for ourselves. Now, what I'm saying is the body of Christ needs to be a place where there's heart, a place where there's help, and finally, a place where there's health. A healthy body is a body where individuals really carry their own load. You know? So some people here, I don't know, in a crowd this size, there's some people that are kind of like care moochers. <laughs> and for some, you need to start carrying your load. You got to just pick up the pack. And God will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. And you're not alone. So you got to venture out. You got to get free from the dependency you have on care. Wow, this is a big topic, and a lot of us, a lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us know exactly what it means. You know how it is, I'll tell you, the person that just said amen probably is a person who's been caring for someone far too long. <laughs> There's a little word uh, called enabling, help, someone told me this, it changed my life, help that doesn't help isn't help. <laughs> That's worth everything you came for this morning. <laughs> so you keep dumping help into somebody, help, help, help. Yes, I'm going to help. Yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm tired, but I'll keep doing that. I'll keep doing that. And now it's been five years. And the person's still saying, I need more help. No, you don't. You need a kick in the, yeah. All right. So, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I can see a lot of us are helping a lot of people. <laughs> okay. So, here's the bottom line. Loving communities are what people who are hurting need. Are we, and am I, 